0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey guys, my name is Ryan. Those of you that are new, I'm glad that you are here. Welcome to North Valley. We're excited uh, to to be together this morning. And uh, what I wanted to do is just walk through a little bit of this Serve Like Jesus series just for a minute. Um, We're going to start this series today, and it's going to mark the time of 40 days leading up to the Easter season. So I want to encourage you uh, to be a part. This is probably the most critical part of uh, the the ministry year for us at the church, uh, to be able to to experience and extend the love of Jesus Christ uh, in a 40-day window period of time. So this is going to be leading up to the Easter season. So really there's two parts to this uh, Serve Like Jesus series. Um, One is, is... Just the resource initiative. Um, I've talked to you guys uh, this last week, uh, the last couple of weeks, I've met with 125 different adults within our church about some important next steps for our church uh, to continue to serve like Jesus. And so you can see we've got the vision boards on the side of the baptismal walls, those back there. And really, this is a resource initiative to raise the needed capital in order to position and to preserve the great privilege that we have at this church to serve like Jesus. Um, There's 91,000 people that drive by our campus every single day. So here's what I want to encourage you to think about in this resource initiative, is I just want to remind you of where we've come from. Um, This is the campus project um, when we first purchased the property. Um, In August 2015, I got one of my buddies that was flying drones, and at that time, they didn't have a lot of drone regulations. (laughs) uh, and there's an airport nearby. And so, uh, we didn't, we just flew this drone over the campus. So, but you can see, this is what the property looked like. We actually closed on the property in September, uh, 2015. And, uh, this is right before we, we were under contract right here, but that's the parking lot. So you drove up and you might've seen a few weeds, but you didn't see that many. Um, the courtyard was a disaster. This place was terrible. And uh, how many of you guys were here when the property looked like this? Would you raise your hands? Okay. And everybody else, let's celebrate and thank them because they've done a great job in giving and serving. Uh, This is what the chapel looked like. And so you can tell it was a disaster. And uh, it was, I remember taking early vision tours with friends and family and saying, hey, this is going to be an awesome place. And a couple people would pull me aside and say, are you sure? <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it has been. It, we've done weddings, baptisms. We've really done a lot. We've really helped establish this place as I, what I like to call as a spiritual oasis. I want to show you some pictures of, of, some, of the campus kind of renovated. But you, that's the chapel now. And um, we just had a wonderful event just a couple weeks ago where we had date night. That was a lot of fun. Um, And then, you know, this campus has just turned into a a great oasis. Let's continue to show more pictures. In fact, uh, the magazine 85085, these are their photos. They sent out a photographer and heard that we were restoring uh, Bella Giordano, the wedding venue, and Skunk Creek Flats, the bar. And they came out and took photographs of this and did a story. Uh, in 2015 about our church and said, this new church has bought the property and they're renovating it. And, and that's the same place and that's the campus. And so the resource initiative, and I'm not going to teach over the next six weeks on finances because you guys are already generous. Did you know that 70% of everybody that attends North Valley gives financially? So that's good. You can celebrate that. Yeah. Here's the reality. Most churches in North America, 50% of the attendees give. Our church is 70%. So we've been a generous church, um, and our resource initiative is to really renovate that nine acre campus. I've talked to you guys as well about the potential of buying additional property. And so what I wanna do is I don't wanna bog down our service with all the details. I'll send you guys a letter explaining a lot more of what we're doing. I'll make myself available for the next 40 days to have any discussions that you guys want to about the resource initiative. But I more than anything, I wanna teach you what it means to serve like Jesus. And what I wanna encourage you to do is go ahead and open up your Bible And uh, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark this morning in chapter 10. And we're going to learn what it means, this 40 days of service. Um, What I want to do is I want to just help heighten your awareness of the number 40. 40 is mentioned 146 times in the Scripture. The number 40 generally symbolizes in the Bible a period of testing, trial, trial, or of some sort like that. It's a significant spiritual number. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering. Moses went to receive the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai for a period of 40 days. Moses sent spies for 40 days to investigate the land that God had promised to the Israelites. Moses' life has been divided into three sections of 40 years. Dwight Moody said this, Moses spent the first 40 years thinking he was a somebody, then the second 40 years on the backside of the desert, realizing he was a nobody. And finally, he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. In the Bible, we read that the judges served, many of the judges served for 40 years. 40 days was given to Nineveh to turn back to the Lord from their sin and turn towards God. Elijah went 40 days without food and water at Mount Horeb. Saul and David reigned for a period of, guess how many years? 40 years. Jesus spent 40 days alone praying and fasting before he started his public ministry when he was tempted by the devil. And then after his life, his death on the cross, he was buried and he rose again and he appeared again to the disciples for a period of, guess how many days? 40 days. Somebody drank their coffee this morning. (laughs) In the modern church, Christian practice Lent consists of 40 days preceding Easter in much of Western Christianity. Sundays are excluded from the count, and the Eastern Christian uh, churches Sundays are included. And in culture, let's talk about culture for a moment. In baseball, the major league baseball teams are allowed to have guess how many players. And some of you are going, what does this have to do with the Bible? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> spring training is about 40-something days. It starts in mid-February, ends in early April. How many of you guys have gone out to the spring training so far? How many of you have planned to go out to the spring training? Not a whole lot of you guys. You guys aren't baseball guys. That's all right. We'll pray for you. <laughs> it doesn't count. All right. 40, forty is a hit song by the Dave Matthews Band. Forty is also a hit song by 1983 U2 album. It was a song that they wrote about Psalms chapter forty. Then there's the forty yard dash in the metric American football idea. They really use that for scouting. And I find this significant number forty because I am forty. And I'm hoping, like the old saying says, life begins at 40. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your, your words in Scripture that give us much more clarification about the importance of serving like you and to the number and the understanding of the word 40. We pray, God, over this 40-day season, change our church, change our lives to better be more like Jesus. Lord, what this world needs is Jesus Christ, and we pray that your Spirit would envelop us, encourage us, challenge us, exhort us, keep us up at night sometimes, and help us to get the rest we need so that we can serve like you. We love you and pray for this 40-day season to be a dedication, maybe a giving up of our time more, giving up of our treasure, giving up of our talents and our skills, Lord, so that you might be glorified. In Jesus name. Amen. So we're in going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Mark. So let's go ahead and, and jump in this 40 days of service. And it starts out in Mark chapter 10 verse 35. And we get two characters off the bat by the name of James and John. And the first passage in verse 35 says this, "And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him" said to him, that is Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Hey, Okay, if my kid came up to me and said, hey, dad, just want to talk for a moment. Well, I want you to do whatever I ask of you. And actually, I do have kids that do that from time to time. And generally, every time, because I always say I'm more of a yes parent. Like, if it's not going to cause them to sin, if it's not going to hurt somebody, my answer is usually, yeah, sure, why not? So I'm the guy in the back, when your kids are in the room, I'm handing them cookies. I'm making sure they're having fun at church. Um, But these guys come up, James and John, and they ask Jesus of this, of they want to ask him, will you do whatever we ask of you? Let me tell you about James and John. James and John are brothers. Um, They're friends with Peter and Andrew. In the beginning of your uh, gospel account, in Mark chapter 1, there's this calling of the disciples, and James and John were fishermen. They had a family business. They ran their family company. They worked alongside Peter and Andrew, and Jesus comes along and challenges them to come follow him, and he's going to make them fishers of men. James and John are the sons of Zebedee. Uh, this is giving historical account that these guys are have a father, and they left their dad, their family business, to follow Jesus. The Gospel of Mark re- records this. Very likely, it's Peter who told Mark about all the details about this account. It says that he came up to him and said to him, "Teacher, we want you to do what we want you to do for us. Whatever we ask of you." Look at Jesus' response. You think, what's he going to say? Because he's going to yell back at them and say, you, you ignorant, arrogant guys. He, says, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And that phrase is important. It's the exact same phrase that Jesus is going to use later in just the, a few sections over with a, by, to a gentleman by the name of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus comes to Jesus and he wants to follow him. And Jesus asked him the question, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus wanted healing. He was blind. Bartimaeus, ultimately, his motive in approaching Jesus was faith. But I'm not so sure about the motive of James and John. Let's watch this. Verse 37. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. There is this reality that they wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to have position. They weren't motivated for their faith. They were motivated by their fame. Bartimaeus was motivated by faith. James and John are motivated by fame. They want a position. They realize that Jesus is a powerful person to be reckoned with. He is, there's shockwaves of his name and fame going all throughout the world at this point in time, and they realize things are heating up, and they, in a sense, say the right and the left hand, that would have been in that time frame, and still in ours, is that indicates that's a place of position, of power. I want to, we say it like this, hey, I want to be your right-hand man. You you, you know what I'm saying. I want to be right beside you through the thick and the thin. I want to be with you to navigate this thing. They do acknowledge that Jesus has got power. They do acknowledge, he says, in your glory. But what did they want? They wanted a little glory themselves. They wanted the fame where Bartimaeus wanted the faith. So Jesus, he responds in verse 38. He says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which i am baptized he's speaking of a metaphor this idea of cup and baptism signifies suffering or death that is ordained by god this cup is something that would be allotted by god jesus knows that his lot in life is to fulfill a mission john 3:16 many of you know it for god so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to suffer on our behalf so we wouldn't have to. And Jesus says, I don't think you know what you're asking. And then continuing on, he's, and they said to him, this is James and John, we are able. We're able to do that, God. That's a sense of confidence. Why would they do that? Because literally their nicknames were sons of thunder. James and John, their nicknames were sons of thunder. And when I hear sons of thunder, I think, is that WWF names or what? Like tag team, come on, son of thunder. Um, These guys were tough. They're very confident. these weren't wimps. These were strong fishermen that navigated through the storms on the Sea of Galilee that had to learn how to fish in good weather and bad weather. And Jesus said to him, Okay, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Here's the reality. Jesus was calling them, a slightly different metaphor here. They don't need to suffer on behalf of humanity. They don't need to die for the sins of the world but they are being called to a different level and a higher level of discipleship. And Jesus tells them that. But then in verse 40, he says to them, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. Let me stop right there. Jesus always operated in the order that God had decreed. Within the Trinity, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is the one who makes the plans. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. The Son is the one who fulfills the plans. And the Spirit is the one who helps us in the plan. So Jesus is giving acknowledgement that this petition that these disciples have made, he says, it's not mine to grant but for those for whom it has been prepared. What will happen with James and John, the sons of thunder, is that James will die a martyr's death. Acts chapter 12, verse 2, says that he was killed by King Herod by the sword. And then John would be boiled in oil or or put in oil later in life and then miraculously escape and not be burned and then exiled to an island, of Patmos. These guys would for sure be a taking this cup of baptism and, and the, taking this cup and being baptized with the same uh, significant level of suffering. Not the same as with Jesus. They wouldn't, they wouldn't die on the cross for the sins of the world, but they would suffer. And then going on, in, we see that the 10 are gonna find out about this the other 10 disciples, and it says this, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Verse 42 says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, let me pause right there. The the 10 are frustrated. The 10 are frustrated very likely because, well, Peter was a close friend with James and John. The inner circle of Jesus's team was Peter, James, and John. There you go why were they like close? Well, they were all together on the same seashore when they were first called. So I can imagine, you know, Jesus is walking along the sea at Galilee and he looks over to Peter and to Andrew. and He says, Hey, you guys come follow me. Goes a little further and sees James and John. Hey, you guys come follow me. So Peter hit it off with James and John. I don't know what happened with Andrew, but Peter, James and John were like the three amigos for Jesus. They followed each other. They did stuff together. They lived together. They laughed together. They cried together. They did ministry together. They were the closest inner circle with Jesus. And I can imagine Peter. He gets rumor. What? James and John want to have a position next to Jesus in his glory? They're thinking like an earthly kingdom, like Jesus is going to take over. He's going to be the new king in Israel, the Roman Empire, which is pushing down on them and 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 is is going to be overthrown. And Peter's thinking, how could you guys sell me out? You didn't include me. And James and John are like, well, sorry, you weren't here. So we just talked to Jesus. And the ten heard it, and they began to be indignant uh, at James and John. And in verse 42, and Jesus called them to him. That word called, or that phrase, is mentioned nine different times in in the Gospel of Mark. It means that he summoned them. It means that he called them together. I can imagine there's a, a tension in the gathering, and Jesus, in a sense, says, hey, all right, cool it down. You guys come on over here. Have you ever been to a junior high or a high school football team? The team's out there and they're just looking, it's looking like a disaster, and the coach just says, All right, guys, come on, come on, come on over here. He tries to recircle the team and give some, creates a teaching moment. That's exactly what Jesus does here. This is a significant teaching moment. Continuing on, he says this. He's not going to yell at them, but he's going to give them a very clear picture of what it looks like to be great. Because really, they wanted fame, they wanted greatness. He says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. That word to exercise means to gain mastery or power or to subdue others. And what Jesus is doing is he's creating this paradox principle right away. A paradox is something that is seemingly absurd or self-contradicting. It's a statement or a proposition that when, when you that can't be fully explained but may will prove or may prove to be well-founded or true and jesus is beginning to flip over their thinking he says that the great ones exercise authority over them but verse 43 says but it shall not be so among you to serve like jesus you need to know it's crazy it's totally different than the way the world thinks um It's interesting, though, that many um, scholastic or academic or business publications are starting to catch notion that this idea of service and serving people is the right pathway, and it's the best pathway. I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. Let's first look at what Jesus says. He says, but whoever would be great, if you want to be great in life, he's telling the guys... Among you, you must must you must be your servant. Whoever would be great among you, you mu- uh, among you must be your servant. And then he continues on, verse forty-four, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The word uh, to be a servant is diakonos, and it means literally waiting on tables. It means that, like I was back there at the cafe uh, corner over there just a moment, and I found myself wiping down the tables. And I'm like, that's, it's, it's just doing something practical that's helpful for any kind of occasion or need. So many times when we think of service, we think of, oh, that's not my gifts, or, oh, I could do so much more and be so much more effective or efficient. That's not the kind of service Jesus is talking about. He said, if you wanna be great, you must be a servant. And then he says, and whoever would be first, if you wanna be first, Among you, you must be a slave of all. That word is doulos in the Greek, and it means inferior to the servant. Now, that's what Jesus says. So by and large, most of the world doesn't think that way. However, let me tell you a few things that I've I've heard uh, and read recent in publications. Forbes Forbes magazine says that now is that service, customer service, is the new marketing in the 21st century. That if you serve people really well, you don't have to spend as much money on marketing because people talk to people. Um, I like what the Ritz Carlton hotels slang uh, or their or their uh, slogan is. It is we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen serving. Um, then you have uh, uh, recently Harvard Business. Uh, a journal said something along these lines. They said, um, Learn to be a servant leader, and you will get more results in your business. My point in saying this, I like what St. Augustine used to say, is all truth is God's truth. So if we find something true in the world, you can deduce it down, and you realize that's actually God's truth. Jesus was pushing this idea to help reorient what it looked like to be great. So I ask you, North Valley friends and family, do you want to be great in life? Then you need to learn how to be a servant. You need to be a diaconos. It means literally like you're waiting on tables. You're doing the things that a lot of people could do. And by the way, I was a, 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 I was a waiter for a period of time. It was the worst experience I possibly ha- I could have. I was a terrible waiter because I would get into a conversation with somebody and talk to them and there's like five other tables over there and I'd be talking to them about their life and what's next in their life and next thing you know and then somebody would yell across the room, hey, I need a lemon with my water. And I'm just like, hang on. That doesn't work. But what I have learned is I have learned that I do love to serve. That wasn't my strength. I wasn't very good at that, but I still need to find areas in my life to serve, even when I'm not good at it. For example, the, the Mexico missions trip that we're going on, I really am not, I'm not good at carpentry. I really don't even know what I'm doing most of the time. If you give me a power tool, I'll, I'll tear something up, but I'm not going to fix anything. Um, but I'm going because there's something that comes alive in me when I serve and I do something that's not in my skill set, but it's something that is helpful and practical. When we're learning to serve, we've got to realize that, that it's not always going to be our sweet spot. It's not always going to be our strength, but it's very important. And that's where true greatness lies. Jesus said, if you want to be first, then you need to be a slave, a doulos, inferior even to the servant. Jesus Jesus continues on, and he illustrates this. He's a very powerful leader, and always has been, because he understands the principle of leading by example. That principle is true for every civilization, every community around the world. Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus would offer up his life as a substitute on behalf of humanity. He would go to the cross and die for the guilty, and he was innocent. And Jesus says, the Son of Man, he's he's referred to that multiple times. He's already predicted his death three different times in the Gospel of Mark. The disciples aren't sure how this is making sense. Their fearless leader is talking about how he's going to just die. So he says, for he did not come to be served, but to serve. So here's what I want to encourage you, three practical truths to help you serve like Jesus. Number one, you need to realize that the Christian life is a paradox. It's absolutely a paradox. If your Christian life feels frustrating at times, you're probably living the right Christian life. If you want to live, the Bible says you should die. That's a paradox. If you want to be strong, you need to be weak. That's a paradox. If you want to be first in life, you need to figure out how to be last. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant. These are paradoxes, and really what it comes down to is you might put this in your notes. It's not on the screens, but realize that the Christian life is a paradox, comma, sacrifice. I don't know anything in life that doesn't come without some sacrifice. What's the story of our church? Or story of our church is sacrifice. People always walk through here, and they always, man, we want to be a young church like yours and be able to do this and do that. And I'm like, well, how strong is your level for pain? Because this doesn't come without tremendous sacrifice. Let me tell you something: the Christian life is a sacrifice. Why is that important? Let me just tell you something. This is so crucially important. Jesus is saying the greatest way to be great in life is to give your life. Why is that? Because giving is the essence of God himself. You might want to write that down. Giving is the essence of God himself. When you give, when you sacrifice, you are, in a sense, imputing the givingness of God. So when you're sacrificing, you're modeling the demonstration of what Jesus Christ did. Giving is at the very essence of God. God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. So when we sacrifice, when we give, it's the very essence of God. Now, there's two ministries of service, two ministries that we all need to be a part of. This isn't on the screen either, but I do want you to pay very close attention to this is that there's two ministries that we all need to be involved in. And one is, is the ministry of service. One is, you need to say, how am I being a diakonos? Or how am I being a doulos? How am I doing something that is so far below me in life? Like, you need that. That's therapeutic for you. You go serve the poor, you work on the campus, and so many of you are doing that. I love the stories, you know, Ray and Ann Finch are in our church and raised in Honeywell and just a fantastic guy and moving and grooving through the business world. And you know what he loves to do in his spare time is get over here with his wife and work on the campus. Is it below him? Yeah, it's way below him. But what's he doing? He's saying, I wanna serve. I wanna meet a practical need. What diakonos means is that you're just meeting a practical need. Don't think about serve like Jesus. Oh, I got to find all my sweet spot, all my gifts, and make them align for God's glory. Because you're probably going to be sitting there and you're not going to find a good spot real quick. The first part of your ministry needs to be service. The second part of your ministry needs to be by your design. And what I mean by that, and we teach a whole course on this, is you absolutely need to get in line with your God-given design. You need to find out your spiritual gifts. You need to find out your personality type. You need to build upon your experience's life. You need to, what you're getting paid to do is probably part of your design. The reason why you get paid for your job is because God gave you a gifted design. Some of you are in a bad job, and you need to quit that job and get into a new job that aligns with your design. You need two parts of those ministries. You need a ministry to serve, and you need a ministry that goes in line with your God-given design. Number two, I want to challenge you to remember the who and the why you serve. Why are you here? Why would you give? Why do you serve? I'm here every day, every day through the week, remembering that there's another Ryan in the valley that is separated from the love of Jesus Christ. And if I just keep going, if I just keep serving, then I can help that next Ryan that didn't know Jesus, fall in love with Jesus Christ, love his church and go start new churches or help build up an existing church. That's my why. That's why I'm here. Why are you here? why are you a part of what what God wants to do in the church or in your marketplace? You guys need to serve like Jesus in your home, in your businesses, in every area, serve like Jesus. Remember the who and the why. Who you serve is the king. You serve Jesus Christ, the king. Colossians says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. is for working for the Lord, not for men. Number three, I want to challenge you, make serving part of your lifestyle because it's who we are. At work, serve your employees. At church, find a place to serve. At home, guys, serve your wives. Ladies, you're going to like this part. Husbands, you can wash clothes. Husbands, you can iron your shirt. And if mine are ever wrinkled, it's because I ironed my shirt. That's why I'm wearing this, to hide it, because I don't do a good job. Husbands, you can serve your wives just as Christ served the church and gave his life up for the church. Serve in every area that you've got. Serve, serve, serve. And in doing so, it actually brings more life, life, life. If you want to live, you need to die. If you want to be great, you need to learn how to be a great servant. So in every area... And so the serve, I want to challenge you, serve like Jesus NVCC challenge. Here's what I want you to do in our remaining time. I'm going to walk through this list and there on your program, if you would, would you pull it out just for a moment? And on the back of it, there's this little connect card. You can go ahead and tear that off and let's just walk through that just for a moment. So on the back is there's a list of service projects. So there you go. You got the whole list right there. In the next 40 days, here's what we're going to do. And I want you to check whichever one you're interested in and feel like, you know what, I'd like to help out with that. And don't check them all because you're not Superman, okay, or Superwoman. Just check one or two. NV Students Community Car Wash. We're going to launch a car wash free of charge. We're not, we're not trying to do anything besides serve like Jesus. Um, NV Kids Stock the Shelves. We're going to help kids and families in need. So we're mobilizing our church to serve like Jesus, we're going to do welcome to the neighborhood, um, delivering gift bags to new neighbors. That's what's in this bag. So in the bag, there's this awesome little coffee mug. We've got 100 of these. And if you got a new neighbor on your street, then take them this gift bag. There's a sticker. There's a little, uh, there's some coffee down in there. There's a new here, start here. It's about our church. Um, so over the next 40 days, we just want to encourage you to serve like Jesus. we got got 100 welcome to, to the neighborhood bags. We want 100 of them to be gone. You know, if you guys want to knock them out today, you can do that today. But over the next 40 days, we need to see everybody participating and being a part at some level of another. Originally, our goal was 51% of our church. That's a weak goal, guys. We can do a lot better than 51%. But let's, let's mobilize people to serve like Jesus. We're doing a Mexico mission trip. We have about 40-plus people that are doing that uh, In a couple of weeks, we're real excited about that. Uh, Building homes for the poor and needy. Next week, don't miss it. I'm gonna highlight to you the family that we're building a home for. Um, Prison fellowship, serving and helping women behind bars. Over the next 40 days, God's gonna call some of you to go do that. Go as soon as he calls you to do that. It might be right now today. Alongside ministries, coming alongside men who've recently come out of prison. Um, That's a great ministry. Uh, Foster and adoption care. Giving care and support to foster families and kids. It's a, it's a heartbeat of our church in so many ways. But My wife and I adopted a little beautiful girl named Maya, and there's so many of you that have adopted or fostered. So many of you that were adopted or fostered. And we need to share and show the love of Christ. Um, the Cares Team Community Projects, this is a new one. We're real excited about this. We're going to convert one of the white trailers that we have on our campus fill it with tools, and we're going to go out and we're going to help neighbors in need, especially widows and single moms. If you know anybody that is outside the church or in the community or inside the church, it doesn't matter, that needs help, then you've got to tell us. And we want to encourage you to be a part of that if you'd like to be a part of that. Then there's a community-wide Easter egg hunt and event. We're going to be doing that on this campus. We usually have a huge swell of people that show up for that. That's a great way. That's a big outreach for us as a church. And that's going to be happening in the next forty days. And the last one is: you got an idea, send it to us, and we'd love to uh, help it help you to make it make the list. So let me pray for us, and we're going to close out our time. But my encouragement to you is to fill that out. Just check one of those boxes, and then drop it in the giving box or turn it in at the connection corner. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to serve like Jesus. We know that it'll better our marriages, it'll better, better our personal lives, it'll better our workplaces, and most of all, God, it'll better ourselves um, and give you glory. It will be good for us. And I do pray, God, that uh, we would just experience more and more and see how you are the greatest giver of all, and that you laid down your life, you humbly came to serve and not to be served. And Lord, out of that experience with you, might we extend the very essence of giving and serving other people, no strings attached. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.